This show is brought to you by Creatively Disruptive, the marketing team behind your team. And if you are a club owner or a gymnastics industry professional, I encourage you to join their group, the Gymnastics Business and Marketing Group. There's so much free advice straight from the pros, and you'll meet an entire community of like-minded professionals. So check out the Gymnastics Business and Marketing Group on Facebook, and check out Creatively Disruptive at creativelydisruptive.com. Truly, in every world, whether you're a doctor, a gymnast, a judge, uh, it doesn't matter who, behind the scenes, things are always different. Hi, guys. I'm Rosanna. Thank you for coming to our show. This is Bonham, my brother. Are you guys ready for another mini-sode? Enjoy the show. Now let's begin. Thank you, mini-hosts. Returning to the show today is a former full episode guest, Judge Rosemarie Aquilina. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that episode, I encourage you to go back and check it out. Today's a mini, so it's quick. But remember, Judge Aquilina sees a lot. I'm sure you can only imagine. And she's very adamant about talking about the tough issues, confronting them, raising awareness, giving voice to victims, giving voices to survivors, rehabilitating offenders, and all in all, trying to prevent this stuff from happening at all. If you choose to listen to this episode, you will hear some references to abuse and violence. Keep in mind, this again is to raise awareness and be proactive. However, I understand that that might be too difficult for many to listen to. But if you are sticking around, here we are with a mini-sode from Judge Rosemary Aquilina. And we are back with Judge Rosemary Aquilina. Thank you for joining me once again. I'm glad I didn't scare you away the first time. Oh, gosh, we had so much fun. I will be on every week. I mean, you are just a delight. So thanks for inviting me again. Oh, let's do it. You don't have other projects that are going to get in the way, right? We'll just do this once a week. And, well, you know, <laughs> there's always midnight. There is always midnight. So uh, you've, you've been up to a lot. You know, we, we did our interview and you were so open with discussing just your crazy life and the things that you see and how you deal with them and your strength and the perspective that you have to to do what you've done and are continuing to do giving voice to victims but there's also this whole other world that you're tackling you're an author you've something's going on dr phil we need to talk about and i just wanted to check in with you and see if we can talk about that stuff. I'm really curious about the writing and about the appearances. Now, right now, do you have something that is is just about to come out or just did that we can share with everyone? I do have, there's a film that is coming out and it is really about the teen um, challenge types of programs. It's a, it's a documentary. It is supposed to come out in September. Uh, we'll have more on that when it actually comes out. For all I know, the name could change, but it's really dealing with teens who are placed in programs that are sort of like boot camps, and they really go unmonitored. And the children, they're now young adults, but who I spoke with in this documentary uh, were abused. And in fact, one of them, his sister died. And it really talks about the lack of supervision and the abuse and horrifying circumstances that these children are placed in. And the parents don't know. The, if you go to the school, it looks like any other uh, 
place where children are sent to be educated and to learn, but behind doors, they are meant uh, really to be hidden from what's really going on. And they will do things like have them run in place for you know 20 hours and dehydrate them. Uh, they don't get the medical attention they need. They are abused in so many, many ways. And children are dying. Um, Child Protective Services is not in there. People don't know about it. And when the children are doing the call-ins for with the parents, they are monitored. So the child will say, oh yeah, everything's great. Because if they don't say that, they will be harmed. So it's a documentary really about opening the eyes of everyone as to where you send your children. You need to know, you need to visit. Um, these places are not monitored and they're, I'm not saying they're all bad, but it, the documentary is um, eye-opening and it's brutal. You know, I'm working on projects really that hopefully bring awareness and change to protect children. When I'm dead, I just want to close my eyes and hopefully have a conversation with God about, you know, I made a difference because what I leave behind, it's not my car, my clothing, my house, it's my kids and my grandkids. And if we're not making a better place for them, then I don't know why we're here. You know, so I'm just trying one issue at a time to make things better tomorrow and the next three days, I'm part of a film. It's sort of scripted and not scripted. And my middle child is included in it. So I'm kind of excited because oh. her artwork's going to be in it. But uh, and Patch Adams is going to be in it. And uh, a lot of people, and it's going to be filmed at a high school that's about 45 minutes from where I live in East Lansing and at Pickney High School. And it's about teen suicide. It's sort of, sort of a story within a story. I don't know when that's going to come out. It's Right now, the title is One's Honesty, but it's dealing with this really terrific and horrifying subject. It's terrific because we don't have enough conversation about it. Horrifying because it happens too much, and that's teen suicide and the effect and the conversations that should be uh, that we should be having. So um, I'm trying to tackle a lot of topics that plague our country and worldwide. I hope they have positive effects. If not, I'm trying to have some fun doing them as well. Mm -hmm. You're the thing that I think is, is different when I talk to you, as far as what you know, what you do for a living and for a career is you don't seem to be really focused on just making sure to get rid of the bad guys. It's part of the job, but that doesn't seem to be the number one priority. You you always go back to the victim and how to make sure that doesn't happen again, how to figure out why it happened, that just that other step of not just getting somebody locked away, but how do we how do we as a society improve because of what happened and how do we take care of the ones that were affected? I think we have to do that. I think that should be all of our job. I think that what you all need to do who are listening, uh, me included, is to remember to tell people they matter. And to say, you know, what's going on? How can I help you? What would you like me to know? How are you feeling today? Those open-ended questions so that we can really help people before they get in trouble. And it's not just victims I listen to, it's also defendants. Because when I hear the backstory, it's just like writing or reading a novel. 
it's the backstory that tells you and foreshadows the future and helps you understand the end of the book, right? Yeah. So that's what I have in front of me is I have multiple stories every week and I try to figure out the backstory so that I can not only help the victim to heal, to know it's not their fault so that they can go forward in a positive way, but also the defendants so they can be rehabilitated and they can understand the harm they caused, but that whatever they did shouldn't define them and they can be rehabilitated. Now, not everybody can. There are people that I send uh, to prison for life. And I've done that multiple times over, sadly. I don't take any joy in that. Uh, again, that's protection of society and right. deterrence of others. And there's a whole lot of factors that I have to consider. But most people don't go to prison and they don't, don't stay in jail. The most time you can stay in jail is a year. Uh, anything over that would be prison time. But before it gets there, I try to rehabilitate them and treat them like human beings, like they're worthy. And so many of them come back because I say, come back and show me the great things you've done. Yeah. And it's not just that I say that to victims. I say it to defendants and defendants come back and they show me their their music, their healthy babies, their paycheck, their business card. They invite me to stop into their business. And they say, I did this because of you. And I say, no, you did it because you put in the hard work. I may have opened the door, but it takes a lot of courage and strength to walk through it. And they say, yes, but you're the first person who told me I mattered. And there's a whole story and a message there. You know, where have we failed as a society that we don't know that every human being matters? Why don't people know when they wake up in the morning, it's a great day because they matter. That's a global problem. That is as um, deadly as the pandemic. And that causes alcoholism, drug abuse, suicides, uh, crimes. We need to get at the core of that and tell people they matter. You're willing to help. And even if they make a mistake, they can do better. You think you just solved all the world's problems with one solution. And I'm not saying <laughs> it's a little jokingly, but no, but really when it comes down to it, you're right. Just that simple idea of when, when people feel valued, they tend to do more good when they feel valued, right? It's like an employee right. with an or employer with an employee. When employees feel valued, then they tend to go the extra mile. And I think that just in general to just say that if, if every single person in this world truly felt cared for and that they mattered, what different choices would they make? Right. Well, and you know, for those people who say, yeah, that's bunk. Well, there are studies that are actually done on athletes and they don't have to be Olympians, but if you have a coach who is that hard nose, you know, beat them up, yell at them and get in their face and cut them down and all that to perform. But you also have a coach who is encouraging and grateful for the Olympian or the athlete just to show up and to do the best they can, that athlete will do better and outperform the one who's bully into bullying, bullied, I should say, into performing. And so that is a, a life lesson for all of us. You can encourage someone to do math and to do their best, or you can beat it into them and they will reluctantly learn that two plus two is four, but they'll hate math. They'll never want to sit down and do it. But if you can encourage them to learn why two and two is four, and then they can learn to love math, respect the person who's helping them and respect themselves. Whole different ballgame, whole different uh, right. feeling and outcome, right? And those are life lessons. It's not just for athletes. And studies are there. If you don't believe me, look them up. I've read them. 
They, yes, they absolutely are in, in our sport because, you know, my audience is probably 90% gymnastics people. Yeah. I know this is a conversation that's had all the time just about how you know, we're, yes, we're teaching them gymnastics, but we have a responsibility to teach them how to be good people and bring out the best in them. And that I love what you said that, yeah, they'll get the answer reluctantly, but that doesn't mean, doesn't mean it's absorbed and it doesn't mean they really care. And it doesn't mean they're going to hold themselves accountable to make that choice when you're not in their face. Right. And that's a very, very common topic in our sport and probably in a lot of sports is, you know, these are, these are little human beings and you're with them a lot of times more than their own parents once they get to that high level. And you've got a responsibility to prepare them for, they're only with you for this long, you know, it's a window. Right. But well, I got to walk away and still be able to thrive. Yeah. And so many uh, athletes who I've spoken to now over many years have said, well, I'm not putting my child in sports. I don't want my child to go through what I did. Mm -hmm. You know, they can have fun at their sports, but I'm not going to push them into making it a career because of the abuse, because of the pain. And they're not talking about the joy. And you know, it doesn't matter if you're a writer, a lawyer, a doctor, a plumber, it doesn't matter if you're an athlete, whatever it is you choose in life, there needs to be joy. And if there's no joy, then we need to figure out why and, and change your career path. You can do that at any age, but life's too short to do what you love in pain. Well, thank you for that. Now let's, uh, can we talk about Dr. Phil? Sure. Yeah. Well, what, what, tell me about that. Tell us people who did not know that there was a cross, I'm, I'm calling it a crossover of your yeah. world and his world. And then it kind of kept going. So can you talk to us about that? Yeah. So I was on Dr. Phil at, uh, I don't know how many years ago now, three years ago, maybe. Uh, okay. I, you know, I just time now, as you get older, like little kids, I'm kind of like a little kid. I have no yep. concept of time and I'm always so, busy. I, you know, I don't have a chart of it all, but Anyways, I was on uh, Dr. Phil. He invited me to go on with some of the sister survivors. So that was, what, three years ago, maybe, maybe two years. I don't remember. But anyways, and we really got along well. And um, he basically said, you know, anything you need, I'm there. If I need to come to Michigan and tell people, like, that what you're doing is good, I'm, I'm there. And Mitch Album and I will show up and say, hey, you know, she needs to continue doing this. And uh, it was kind of, it was a very cute moment. And um, then a number of other issues have arisen and they've called me as sort of the voice of, you know, the legal system, the people, uh, reason uh, to argue, uh, which I'm like doing and, <laughs> on, you know, three more episodes. And then, um, in fact, the last time I was there, he said, can you stay for tomorrow's episode? And so I said, well, you know what? I can do that, but I need to uh, give my, my uh, secretary, my judicial assistant, um, who is my right arm and schedules. I said, I need to bring her like a mug or something because from your show, because I have to say, I'm sorry and thank you. And so they laughed right. and gave me some you know, stuff from the show for her. And, um, and I stayed for that show. And then he said, can you stay and do a podcast? And then the <laughs> podcast turned into two podcasts. Yep. And, you know, he and I, um, he has a legal background and I don't care what people say in terms of whether they like him or not. Um, he really has a caring about people and he really wants to help people. He's been on the air for many, many years. He's done some shows that I think 
yeah, okay, I don't really want to listen to those because people are yelling at each other. But, you know, and, and those, even with Judge Judy, sometimes I, I love Judge Judy like the rest of the world, but sometimes I think, okay, I can do without the yelling. Let's get at the issue. Um, but remember, it's it's also for entertainment. It's television. And, yeah. yeah, it's television. I'm just glad that you get to have yet another platform and a huge one to be able to share what it is that you do, especially like I keep saying, the giving the voice to the victims. That's when I think of you, that's the first thing I think of. And I'm sure most of my Thank listeners you. would agree. You're Thank synonymous you. with that in our world. And I, what I was so happy about with the episode that we did when we did your full episode was showing everybody that that wasn't just a one-time thing. That's actually who you are and, and how you do run things consistently. We just got to yeah. see it in our world. Right. People got to see it. And then, you know, there were sort of the, the good media and then the, the other media that said, well, she just did it for television. Well, if that's true, I have a binder that's, I don't know, six inches thick of offers that people would kill for. I said no to them um, because it was not the right moment because I'm not going to profit like that um, on somebody else's story and pain. Uh, I've had a lot of offers. I'm working on things, um, but I want to do something meaningful and maybe I'll change careers at some point, but it has to be because it's about me, about my ability, not about a case that I was randomly assigned that I handled like I handle all others. Have you heard about Cornerstone Conventions yet? Well, it is a division of precision that is strictly focused on coaches and staff education. And you know what the coolest part is? you get world-class lecturers who come to you. That's right, you don't have to pay for airfare and hotel and meals for your staff. The speakers come to you. You can customize your sessions to fit your program's needs and get special time with the presenters outside of their lectures. Yeah, so no more like five minutes to try to talk to them as they pack up their equipment and the next speaker comes in. No, there is dedicated time in the gym with the presenters where you can follow up on their presentation, ask further questions, and basically soak up as much information as possible. And this is not just for private clubs. We offer this service to states and regions for their educational clinics. We're really excited because in November, we'll be putting on the Vermont State Clinic, educating coaches, judges, gym owners, and program directors. If you want more information on bringing this unique educational opportunity to you, you can email cornerstoneconventionsgym, G-Y-M, at gmail.com. Again, that's cornerstoneconventionsgym at gmail.com. But I want to do something meaningful, and maybe I'll change careers at some point. But it has to be because it's about me, about my ability, not about a case that I was randomly assigned that I handled like I handle all others. I mean, so, you know, will I change careers? I may, um, but we'll see. And, you know, one of the reasons I am looking at possible change in my life is because being a judge, there's a lot of bullying that goes on behind the bench. And um, I get tired of fighting with people who should have my back, who should fight for all of society, who, you know, shouldn't be so self-centered that it's their way or the highway. And granted, I have my own streak of that, but I'm willing to listen. I don't um, put my fist up at others. I don't yell and scream at ju judges meetings. I don't throw papers. I don't threaten people. 
I think there should be camaraderie and discussion. Um, but truly, in every world, whether you're a doctor, a gymnast, a judge, uh, it doesn't matter who, behind the scenes, things are always different. And I can tell you that I get tired of fighting my way through the judicial system, the my, my alleged colleagues. And so I'm, I've asked for help with other judges from the Supreme Court. They've told us they will help. Have they helped yet? No, it's been years. See, I, you would think that once you've reached that position of judge, that you're the end all be all and that you're the one, you know, that's calling the shots and that nobody's gonna, it's, and it's very, uh, very interesting to hear that you're never really out of that stuff. And yeah. from the outside, out. things always look different, don't they? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, no one is exempt. It's also a lesson. No one is exempt from bullying. You really have to speak out about it, talk about it. Um, my book, Just Watch Me, in the audible version, I did not address it. And then I thought to myself, why didn't I? So when it turned into book form, I added in the um, last chapter, um, I sort of added a chapter that talks about some of the bullying. Um, and I may go into detail about it in another book or in a show or, or something, but um, no one's exempt from bullying. So listen to your third grader, listen to your three-year-old, listen to your 18-year-old or your 50-year-old, because mm -hmm. it is horrifying to be bullied and to feel helpless and alone. And you start wondering, is there something wrong with me? And the answer is no. You you have a right to be free of bullying in every form. Mm -hmm. Love it. Well, I don't love it, but I love that you're saying talking about it. <laughs> I think we need to. If we don't talk about it, there's no change, right? So it's shows like yours that talk about these things freely. And I think women now are standing up and saying, I, you know, I want to be heard, have a voice. Uh, I think that it's interesting uh, with the uh, Dobbs decision reversing uh, Roe versus Wade that now women have gone backward and we are uh, in third place behind men and unborn fetuses. Uh, I don't care whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, that's your choice. And we have a right to make it. And I'm fearful that I'm going to be, as a judge, having to sign warrants Ugh. for your medical records which are protected by HIPAA. What happened there? And why aren't we opening up uh, consequences to the men who impregnate women, right? What happened to their, you know, that's the beginning of the crime. That's a conspiracy in other kinds of crimes. Mm -hmm. So what happened if a woman wants an abortion? Isn't the man equally responsible for that? You know, don't get me started on, you know, I have had a number of incest cases where young women, very young women have had, and I should be saying girls, um, have had children by their fathers or their uncles. And one young woman who appeared in front of me a couple of months ago cried and said, I want you to throw the book at him. And I had a baby look just like my dad. Oh. And I tried to raise him, but because I couldn't look at him every single day, I had to give him up for adoption. And I said, okay, I don't have to accept the plea because the plea was just awful. It was a couple of years behind bars and that's it. And that's a 
first degree life offense. And I said, I, we can take this to trial. We can let a jury decide and then I can punish as per the law, not this agreement, but mm -hmm. you'll have to testify. And you just told me you're willing to do that. So I don't have to take the plea. And she said, okay. And then she looked at me about a, I don't know, 30, 60 seconds later. And she said, I don't think I can do it. And I said, yeah, cross-examination's tough. Yeah. And she said, right, I can't, I just can't do it. So don't, don't, don't do anything. I just, I'll just take the plea as it is, you know, the, the sentence, I know it's light, but, but I can't do it. My question then is, you know, what a failure we are as a society and this, our constitution best in the world says that you can face your accuser, right? So any defendant can face the accuser. My issue here is the accuser should be that child, that DNA, let the rapist face the DNA. Why does that young girl have to be subjected to rape, to uh, cross-examination, to giving up her child? Why is she completely diminished as a human being when all we need is the DNA? Fight the DNA, protect the victim. And I'm unclear why that's not happening. And this isn't just one case. I have multiple of these cases. And they're troubling because we're not doing victims justice. And we could. Yeah. And so the law is that they, they can face, but well, they, you have to. it's sounding like they have to. And yeah. that's different. You have to face your accuser. I mean, so the victim has to come and testify. Now, sometimes there's enough evidence and the prosecutor, like in domestic violence, there's there are witnesses who can talk about it. So if a victim doesn't show up or if there was a preliminary examination and we have an unavailable witness, we can proceed with that sworn testimony. There are circumstances that that happens. But overall, when you are a victim, you have to come testify. The defendant has the right to have a face-to-face -face in an open courtroom. I had a case where I closed a courtroom because the victim was so very, very young. The Court of Appeals reversed me and said, well, you shouldn't have done that, even though everybody who was necessary was in the courtroom. So we had a new trial and same outcome, was found guilty, the same sentence, nothing changed except that a victim was punished again. Again, and, yeah. You know, I took the hit for that because I closed the courtroom, but she, she was so very young. Did she really need to talk publicly? So, um, and there was everybody who was necessary was there, all the families and all of that. It just, yeah. you know, her, her schoolmates were not there. The parents of the schoolmates were not there. It was so very private. Yeah. Um, so some of those things, I understand the rights of defendants and I have to be fair and impartial, but you know, there are some things that we're doing to victims that are so incredibly horrifying that they're not coming to court. And that is troubling too. That's not justice. Are you starting to feel like in order to make impacts the way that you really want to, that the job that you have right now is, is maybe not the most effective way to do it? I have thought that. In fact, I've thought about perhaps, I love uh, Debbie Stabenow. Um, I don't know how long she'll stay there. I'm, I'm going to have a conversation with her. One of the things I have considered and people have approached me about is, you know, what about running for the U.S. Senate? Yeah, uh, I would love to do that. I had worked in our legislature here in Michigan uh, for a state senator for a decade. I love the process. 
uh, for me to run uh, as a senator or representative, I'd have to be off the bench two years and then run because I'm nonpartisan. But to run at the federal level, I think I can go from the bench um, right to running for that. I'd have to leave, of course. I'm considering it. I don't know. Um, I, I'm not closing any doors, but I do feel like I could be on the floor of the Senate and say what I wanted to without any uh, worry about who I'm offending or what whoever contributed to me that I have to say what I have to say because they want me to, because I don't care. What's the outcome? I'm going to, you know, right. I can retire now if I wanted to. I just don't right. want to. I have work to do. But yeah. I'd like the freedom to stand there, try to make the changes without anybody on my back pushing or pulling me one direction or the other, but just doing the right thing on behalf of the people who elected me, like I try to do now. But I feel especially with the bullying that's going on, with the rules I have to adhere to, sometimes I think, wow, uh, I don't have a voice. That's, it's that's big. I'm sorry. but without, Yeah, it's hard to effectuate change without a voice, right? To hear you just say those words is like, because that's what you do. You give voices. Well, you know, it's Ruth Bader. say you don't. Yeah, RBG, she, you know, she got to an age i mean if you look earlier in her career she was always brilliant yeah. but as she got older she got so bold and so brave and so articulate and she didn't need to keep working either it was just like you know but she did it because she made a difference with her voice and i would like to have that kind of impact whether i'm in a in a movie in a in a legislative position on the judiciary whatever and i don't like the feeling that i'm stifled right from my right. opinions because women are put down enough and i don't want to be shut up and placed in the corner because i have a different view i think differing views is why america's great thank you so hey you've got some some major stuff coming up in a few minutes and i don't want to keep you too long but i could not stop that train that was amazing <laughs> thank you a couple things before we go you know we talked about the the episode that you did and how much we talked i think i could have been a two two-parter really on the border of that there was just so much but i do want to thank you for your support with the shrimp tail issue <laughs> And yeah. I want to tell my listeners, <laughs> Yeah. after that episode, you had said, you know what? You just got to tell them how you want it and ask for what you need. You shouldn't That's have right. to deal with that. So I go to a restaurant. I have it on video. I think I might have sent you the video you did, you of did. me asking for no tails yeah. and my husband lost his mind. And then I sent, I sent the judge a picture of my Caesar salad with shrimps with no tails. And you wrote back, congratulations, you did it. See, you would have thought that I just won the Olympics. You know, I make shrimp for my family pretty regularly. My dad has Parkinson's and it's one of the things he can eat, you know, without choking. And um, I think about those shrimp tails and you a lot. I think about it in restaurants. Um, it's just the funniest thing ever. I've never, you're the only one in the history of the world who it bothers. <laughs> and it's just so funny. Um, my, I'm a little bit that way with cherry pits. I will eat the, I just throw the, the whole cherry in my mouth and swallow it with the pit. My mother's always said, since I was a little kid, and my mother has said, 
you know, what are you doing? There's going to be cherries growing out of your stomach. I'm like, I hate seeing the pits all over. So, you know, you, you sit at a family dinner with cherries and they're these beautiful cherries. We get them in Michigan. We get them from California. We get them from Washington. And then what's left are these ugly pits and I hate it. And so um, that's what I've always done. And so I'm a little bit that way with cherry pits, but so I totally am in the sisterhood of, you know, the shrimp tail cherry pit kind of thing. It's just messy and ugly, right? Oh, I love that we're so connected. Look at that. Yeah. So I want to make sure that all of your projects, everything that you're working on, have done or are going to do, that we're able to share that with the listeners. So uh, guys, I'll put any and all links that I have to books and movies and interviews and shows and whatever the heck else you're doing so that you guys can uh, follow the great work that Judge Rosemary Aquilina is doing. And I can't say it enough. Thank you for the impact that you made in our gymnastics world well, thank on that day. You. Thank you. You know, uh, I love the gymnasts. I love that they still reach out to me when they need help or, or accomplish something. And I'm working with, uh, when I can, the Canadian gymnasts who are, you know, there's so much going on there and across the world. So uh, I think partnering together and you doing this show and giving people voice and the awareness is just terrific. So keep up the great work and hello to all of you. And I'm happy to come back anytime. And, you know, you need some help. I'm there. Reach out. It's, it's always an honor to talk to you and thank you so much. And we'll see you soon. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Well, that's the show for today. Judge Aquilina, thank you so much for joining me again. You guys, I want to hear your thoughts. Please shoot me an email at youthinkpod at gmail.com and let me know what you think. I'll see you next week for a full episode. Until then, keep thinking outside the box. Bye.